Music by the lovely Shantara Bird. Little Crimes on the Prairie is a Crooked Sea Ranch production and a Sioux Cast Network original. Welcome to Little Crimes on the Prairie. Hey everybody, I missed you guys. I've been struggling with my health for the past couple years and was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, I'm currently recovering from a double mastectomy. Um, When I say everything is good, uh, believe me, everything is really good. It could have been so much worse. So I'm really grateful for that. So hopefully I can get back on track with some things, maybe get a little bit healthier here and, you know, tell you guys more stories consistently. (laughs) So here's a short one. And... I appreciate your patience. Thank you. I recently learned about the Lyon County, Iowa, Jane Doe from a listener of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It rests against the eastern border of Minnehaha County. I know you've heard me mention Gitche Manitou, and Gitche Manitou sits almost right on the South Dakota-Iowa border. That's where the Gitche Manitou mass murder took place. That's detailed in Gitche Girl, written by Phil and Sandy Heyman. Um, if you... If you listen to the episode about Robert Leroy Anderson, you'll hear me mention it a couple of times. On October 4th, 1978, Lyon County Jane Doe was found in a ditch by utility workers. Almost five years after the mass murder at Gitche Manitou, this unidentified female was found outside of Rock Rapids, Iowa, near Lake Pahoja, nude from the waist up, with green pants and bikini underwear wrapped around her left leg. She was wearing white go-go boots. Her feet were tied together with a braided hemp rope. Based on decomposition, police estimate she was left in the ditch in June or July of 1978. It would take decades to uncover details of this Jane Doe's life. In the meantime, she became one of their own in Sleepy Rock Rapids. Once her story unfolded, though, people would realize Lyon County wasn't always so sleepy. So this case was one that took decades to start unraveling. Iowa Cold Cases is an amazing website, and they do really, really amazing work. I just had to give them a shout out. I did use the information I found on their website as source material, so um, there's that. And also, the Sioux City Journal had an article in 2007 written by Dolly Boots. In that article, Lyon County, Iowa Sheriff Blythe Blumendahl at the time spoke candidly about the investigation. That article was very well done, and um, I used part of that as source material as well. So giving credit where credit is due. Lovingly referred to as Our Girl, the Lyon County Jane Doe rested quietly in the Riverview Cemetery in Rock Rapids, Iowa. Finally, a thumbprint identified this Jane Doe as 23-year-old Wilma June Nissen. She was a long way from home and had been all these years, resting quietly. Sheriff Blumendahl and other investigators were able to piece together Wilma's life once she had been identified. The first shock for investigators wasn't that she was from California, but it was that thumbprint they were able to match to an arrest for prostitution and theft. Wilma was born on October 19, 1954, in San Francisco, California. Wilma had one sister named Mona. 
Mona was hearing impaired and she did not speak. Their mother, June, abandoned them around 1962 and left them in the care of their father, Charles. Wilma and Mona did not attend school and spent their days locked in a closet while their father, Charles, worked. As if that's not bad enough, things got much worse when Charles lost his job and the family started living in the car. Young Wilma spent her time on the streets scavenging for any food or money while Mona was kept locked in the trunk. Finally, in 1964, Wilma and Mona were removed from Charles' care. Unfortunately, the damage had already been done. Ten-year-old Wilma couldn't read or write. She didn't even know how to use a fork. Separated from her sister, Wilma was shuffled from one foster home to another until she settled into her final foster home in 1967. The home of Alice and Vincent Haas became the only stability Wilma had ever known or ever will know. Wilma was finally able to attend school and she earned herself a 10th grade education. Periodically, she checked in on Mona, who was living with a licensed caregiver for developmentally disabled individuals. After her 18th birthday, Wilma left the Haas home. She married Donald Wellington in the summer of 1973, yet by September, she was arrested for the first time for prostitution. From Los Angeles to Long Beach, theft and prostitution arrests were the only way investigators were able to track her activity during that time. Wilma and Donald were described as transient and homeless at times. In May of 1974, she gave birth to a son, fathered by another man named Michael Pizarro Sr., and in December of the same year, she had a son, fathered by her husband, Donald Wellington. In June of 1977, a pregnant Wilma married Robert Irvin. She gave birth to a premature daughter in August. Shortly after her daughter's birth, attempts were made to locate Wilma. All of them were unsuccessful. Her daughter named Chrissy was adopted by Alice and Vincent Haas, her foster parents. In February of 1978, authorities believe this is when she traveled with a man named Charles Inman Belt to Georgia. It's there in Georgia that Belt claims a few days after arriving at his mother's apartment in Atlanta, Wilma left. How and why Wilma ended up in rural Lyons County, Iowa still remains a mystery. NorthwestIowa.com has an article from 2016 written by Mark Mahoney, and according to that article, investigators believe Wilma was working as an exotic dancer or a prostitute for a service called Playgirls or Playmates out of Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Now, I did some digging around, and I did find some interesting information on prostitution in the area back in the late 70s and 80s. I did find one classified ad for an agency called Playgirls. It just had a phone number. It just seemed like such a bold place to advertise something illegal like that. But it is South Dakota, so who knows? Some people would be surprised to learn that Deadwood, South Dakota, actually had legal prostitution until 1980. Brothels dotted the historic downtown of the Old West mining town. So at the time, prostitution wasn't unheard of or anything, and it certainly wasn't something that was harshly punished, at least not in the Sioux Falls area. And of course, back then, trafficked women and underage girls weren't always considered victims. I did find a report by Jim Rasmussen 
in the Argus Leader from July 30th, 1986, that talked about local motel owners signed a petition begging for police to crack down on the prostitution problem in the area. The article mentioned the arrest of a former councilman for statutory rape just the week before. It also mentions the arrest of a couple in Waterloo, Iowa. They were arrested for procuring minors for prostitution. Wilma's case reeks of someone who was being trafficked. I feel like Wilma had very little understanding of what normal might look like. And by all accounts, Wilma's experiences in life rarely offered her any sort of love, kindness, or companionship. At least not the normal kind that we as humans desire and need. My heart hurts for those who find themselves in the shadows of humanity alone and unfamiliar with the most cherished parts of the human condition. Wilma's remains point to a brutal end to her very short life. Investigators say Wilma was killed in such a specific manner that only the killer would know how she died, which leaves investigators very silent on what they learned when they exhumed Wilma's remains. Sheriff Blumendahl stated in the 2007 article that the rope around her feet was likely used to drag Wilma's body into the ditch, possibly from a truck bed. Face down and pulled into the ditch on the north side of a gravel road, her body showed signs of a struggle. Wilma's death isn't a complete mystery to investigators because they are very confident that they know where Wilma was killed, who was responsible, and their motive for such a vicious attack. It's hard to imagine prostitutes and strippers being brought to parties in rural Lyon County, Iowa, but investigators say that's what brought Wilma to the area with two other escorts referred to only as Sugar and Peaches. And as you might guess, people in the area didn't appreciate the law asking around about these parties. Although authorities don't believe a party goer is responsible, they are looking for any witnesses to any of these parties or for anyone to confirm the identities of Sugar and Peaches. I say confirm the identity because law enforcement states that they know who these people are and have spoken to at least one of them. Police suspect that Wilma's fellow escorts robbed and killed her before dumping her in that ditch. Police have interviewed the soiled dove that they believe killed Wilma, but they lack any tangible evidence to charge her in Wilma's death. They eventually released a photo of their suspect, and she's a gorgeous black woman with fashionable short black hair. She wore a silky orange tank top with a thin orange silk scarf tied stylishly around her neck. Her head tilted slightly to the right. She's looking at the camera with a slight flirtatious smile. It's hard to look at that picture and imagine her as a money-hungry killer, but I suppose we've been surprised before. And while she may not look the part, police say that their prime suspect was known to rob other prostitutes as well. She relocated to Canada shortly after Wilma's death and fled back to the U.S. after she stabbed someone else. So that's something I wasn't able to find any specifics about. I'd say it's fair to consider her a suspect. So by now you're probably wondering what Wilma June Nissen has to do with synchronicity anyway. Well, as I was writing this story, I was struggling with a few things and just trying to stay focused, and I wasn't really even sure I was doing what I was supposed to be doing, having another bout of imposter syndrome or whatever you call it, I got a Facebook message. 
The message was from a woman named Chrissy Atkinson. Yeah, that's right. Wilma June Nissen's premature daughter, Chrissy, messaged me on Facebook as I was literally writing the story about her mother. She messaged me to request I do an episode on her mother. Which, like I said, I was literally in the midst of writing. And that's what I mean when I say synchronicity. When the universe comes together in just a moment where you feel like maybe you're doing something right, or, you know, like I said, even just a little closer to God or something, like there's more to it. How many things had to go right that day for me to be writing about Wilma and for her daughter to reach out and contact me, like of all podcasters? And don't get me wrong, Wilma's story has been told by other podcasters too. He, she reached out to more than just me. I don't know how many of them were already sitting there typing the story I just told you. I'd have to venture to say it, not very many, if any. And maybe you believe me, maybe you don't. I really can't make this shit up, but whatever it is, whatever it means, it definitely brings a little bit more to what I'm doing and the direction that I'm going. Finally, for once in my life, I might have an idea of what it is I like to do when I grow up. <laughs> Shit like that happens to me all the time. Until the next one. See you later. Bye. Little Crimes on the Prairie is a Crooked Sea Ranch production and a Suitcast Network original. Coming soon, The Prairie Anecdotier, another Crooked Sea Ranch production and a Suitcast Network original. <laughs>